sitting here doing the podcast, sipping my Boyer's coffee. Do you know, I'm a K-cup guy, and I put this out on social media the other day because uh, I needed to, to get product back in. So uh, I, I went on their website, boyerscoffee.com, and a couple clicks later, I had Mashup Sumatra from Peru coming in. I had Aspen Gold coming in, and um, I put it out that 48 hours later, literally, I had the box at my front door. I mean, it was that easy. And now I'm, I'm a little loaded up with coffee again and set to go. They have great product. And uh, as you know, they've been a great community member in this region since 1965. I not only love supporting them because they're about great things and they are locally owned and operated, but they make fabulous coffee. And that is the bottom line. And they have so many different flavors. So go online to boyerscoffee.com, boyerscoffee.com. Go shopping now, or you can still find it at your local grocery store as well. Boyerscoffee.com. Steel power tools. Man, I had a conversation. You're probably thinking I'm crazy, but I, I saw a guy and uh, out on the street who was you know, pruning trees and that sort of thing. And he had a steel um, chainsaw and, and he also had one of those long trimmers that he was using. And I said to him, I said, listen, I, you know, I, I'm kind of a spokesperson for steel and I love their product, but I noticed that a lot of professionals like uh, you guys use them. And he went on and on about how he's been in business for 25 years and he's used a lot of different companies. I, I should have taped this because it's like a perfect spot for steel. But he uses steel products and he uses a lot of the steel battery operated products, which I love because then you don't have to, you know, deal with, you know, getting gasoline, that sort of thing, even though that works. I get it. But the the power that you can get from battery operated chainsaws, trimmers, they have great lawnmowers, uh, blowers this time of year, you know, you're trying to blow the leaves out as the leaves are going to start coming off the trees. You just got to check out all their products. They have more than 10,000 dealers around the country. SteelUSA.com. That's S-T-I-H-L or SteelDealers.com. And you can shop and you can find the dealer near you. And you are going to be blown away, literally and figuratively, by all their good stuff. That's S-T-I-H-L, SteelUSA. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Rocky shortstop Alan Trejo, a 16th round draft pick with a chip on his shoulder. Absolutely, and I think that fuels me to this day. Uh, being picked up in the 16th round was kind of a slap in the face. I thought it was a lot better than what it was selected as. And yeah, I've carried that throughout my whole career, and it's always been, I got to beat the next guy out. Evaluating Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett. Is Drew going to pile on? I give him a pass right now because he's two games in. And who's the MVP in the American League? Shohei Otani or Aaron Judge? Drew's answer might surprise you. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and leave a rating to help other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is show number 168 and as always we are thrilled that you are along with us and spreading the word about uh, our podcast. Show 168, man. Keep rolling along and having a good time doing interviews. We'll have Alan Trejo in a little bit. It was good to uh, be in Chicago for a week straight where you don't have to, you know, baseball, 
you know, you, you play three, typically maybe four in a city, and then it's uh, get on a plane and go to another city. And I, I've said many times, and I'm not being gratuitous in saying this, so privileged uh, and fortunate to do what I do. And I, and I don't take it for granted. It's great to be back on the road after a couple of years with uh, COVID of, of doing the road games out of the studio. So many cities I adore. Chicago is one of them. Talked about it last week. And to stay in one place for a full week, and especially a great place like Chicago and be able to run out on the lake, it was awesome. And we had fabulous weather as well. But when I'm in Chicago, especially when you're at Wrigley Field, you know, you walk past, you know, the statues of the great Ernie Banks and also of Harry Carey. And Harry Carey was one of the great characters of baseball. And he was a legendary broadcaster and he did some, you know, funny things. And he probably did some things that uh, today would not fly. But um, it reminded me of a couple of Harry Carey uh, stories. One of which, and I'll do my worst, uh, my best slash worst Harry Carey uh, impersonation here. I think many, and I was reminded of this because there were sunny days at Wrigley Field, and and especially with the day games, the, the center fielder, because the sun is right behind um, home plate, and the center fielder really has to deal with the sun. And, uh, you know, both center fielders were, were dealing with that and battling that on, on fly balls, uh, especially early in the game. So it reminded me of the Harry Carey story when he was working with Steve Stone, who's, by the way, still working on, now on the south side with the White Sox. And he and he turned to Stoney in the booth because a fly ball was, you know, just not handled, dropped um, in center field uh, where whoever was playing out there for the Cubs couldn't see the baseball. Literally, he turns to Steve Stone and he says, Stoney, I don't understand it. How does a kid from the Dominican Republic lose a ball in the sun? which, you know, obviously Steve had basically no reply to and probably smart that he did not have a reply to that. It also reminded me of maybe a less famous story, but one that I happened across uh, when Harry was doing the Cubs and I was sitting there watching the Dodgers play the Cubs on WGN. I was probably back in New York at the time. Maybe I'd already made my way to Colorado, but um, it was, I, I remember it, distinctly that it was a two to one ball game. The Dodgers were up two to one in the sixth inning. And last time I checked, they play nine innings in major league baseball, but it was like the sixth inning. Fernando Valenzuela, the great Fernando Valenzuela was on the mound for, for the Dodgers and he was dealing, but it was a one run game. It's two to one game. And the first guy up in the bottom of the sixth inning for the Cubs, who was at Wrigley, hits a, a you know, a fly ball to left field. And Harry describes it, fly ball to left field. And then he and then he just like got angry, you know, in his own way. And and Steve Stone was next to him on that particular occasion as well. And he said, lazy fly ball to left. Stoney, that's all we hit is lazy fly balls. The Cubs will fall to 65 and 82 after this one. And, you know, and he started giving the Dodgers the victory in the sixth inning. I mean, it was a one-run game. It wasn't it wasn't thirteen to two in the sixth, and you go, okay, probably we can put this one in the in the winners uh, column for the Dodgers and the losers column for the Cubs. It was a one-run game. He started ringing them up in the sixth inning. Hysterical. 
Harry, Harry was, uh, was truly one of a kind. All right, staying in the game of baseball, before we uh, talk about a couple of uh, Rockies things, wanted to get into this Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani, MVP conversation in the American League. Now, for many of you, it's not much of a conversation. And I have to tell you that, and I may have brought this up on a previous podcast, cannot recall, can't remember everything I've said. But if you asked me six weeks ago, I'd say, yeah, Aaron Judge is having an incredible year. And in any other league, at any other time, he's the MVP. Slam the gavel down, hand it to Aaron Judge. However, six weeks ago, I said, look at Otani. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he's one of the best offensive players in baseball, one of the best power hitters, not to mention he runs exceptionally well. So this guy's two great players. He's two great players, and it's a shame, but Aaron Judge just happens to play in the same time frame that this freak named Shohei Otani is also playing. Well, guess what? I've had to backtrack a little bit, and it's not as if Otani has come back to earth in some category. He's not. He's pitching even better than when I was thinking that it still should be Otani as MVP you know, four, five, six weeks ago. It has everything to do with that with what Aaron Judge has been doing all year. And that is having an offensive season for the ages that we may look back and short of the Bond 73 home run where he was on base more than half the time, short of that season, which I understand many of those seasons will always be controversial. But taking that away, this season by Aaron Judge, of which last night he hit number 60. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. This season is really without much precedence. 60 home runs uh, as we tape this in 147 games. Faster than Maris, got the 61. He did it in 162. He did it, I believe, yeah, in 162. And, and of course, Ruth uh, hit number 60 in game 153 when he ultimately would finish with 60. They were playing 154 games back then. He has a chance to be the first Triple Crown winner in 10 years since Miguel Cabrera. And the the previous winner was 67 in Carly Stremski in the American League to win the home run title, the RBI title, and the batting title. Now, the home run titles and the RBI titles, they're a done deal. I mean, again, as we check right now, as we speak right now, Judge has 60 homers. The closest pursuer in all of baseball is a National League guy, Kyle Schwarber with the Phillies, who has 40. That's that's 20 more home runs. That's like Ruth stuff, where he was out homering the league back in the 20s. Crazy. The RBI totals, not close. Not close. He's, clo- he's closing in on 130 RBIs. Nobody's within shouting distance. And then batting average, and for many in this modern game, batting average is meaningless. Not to me. Batting average still tells me this guy gets hits. Hits are still valuable. I know we cater to on-base percentage. 
but hits are still valuable. It tells me that, that, you know, not only in the case of Aaron Judge that he hit the ball over the wall, but he gets a lot of hits and he has a chance to win a batting title. It's just such a crazy, fabulous season that I do believe that he should be MVP. And when you look at war, baseball reference war, B-war, fan graphs war, F-war, he's in front of Otani and significantly so. And Otani's B-war is around 8.7, I believe, which means he's he's been almost nine games better than the average player in terms of uh, wins above replacement. Judge is over 10 in B-war. And in the case of F-war, he has about a two-game uh, advantage there as well. So this season has been so historic for Aaron Judge that I do believe, had I, if I had a vote, I, I don't think there'd be any question now that I would vote for Aaron Judge. And I wouldn't have said that, as I said, four or five weeks ago. I said, yeah, Judge's season is crazy, remarkable. But the season that Otani's having is also remarkable in that he's two great players. He will finish second. Otani's a freak show. But what Judge is doing in this particular season, I've kind of flipped. Now, I will leave you with this on this uh, particular topic. If we were redrafting every player in Major League Baseball, put them in a pool, if it was fantasy baseball, I would take Otani number one, and I have to believe every general manager in baseball would do the same thing, because now you fill in two spots on your roster. You have your two or three hole hitter, wherever you want to hit him, and you also have your ace who's going to start opening day and you know may lead baseball in strikeouts, uh, may lead baseball in a variety of pitching categories and also offensive categories. So I would still pick him ahead of Aaron Judge. Uh, But this year, the American League MVP, I flip-flopped. It's got to be Aaron Judge. All right, football. Let's talk Broncos. I know you've uh, heard a few items on the Broncos over the last couple weeks. I certainly was one of many uh, to go off on the field goal decision from week one in Seattle. Then week two, you had a variety of incidents Uh, And they all point back to the young head coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who's been around football his whole life. He's from a football family. We know all of those things. And he has a right to grow as a head coach because he's a first-time head coach. But there's plenty of growth in there because there's nothing for a fan or even somebody else in the front office or a player or someone else on the coaching staff. There's nothing more frustrating than the mismanagement of time and the mismanagement of timeouts in football, especially in the NFL. He's calling the plays, and he's also wearing the headset as the head coach. He's got to get the plays in quicker. Absolutely has to. The play clock cannot be winding down on a consistent basis as you look over your call sheet. It's got to get in quicker. We understand that. Or you have to relinquish those duties. I give him a pass right now because he's two games in. But this has become a very, very, and I'll throw another very, frustrating period for the Broncos. Not just this year, but the, the last half dozen years with coaching mismanagement, with you know inexplicable decisions. I'll give you another one. You've talked about it already around the water cooler. Does anybody really talk things over the water cooler anymore? It's just that cliche. Anyhow, 
I digress. If one week you're telling everybody you you just needed to get to the 46-yard line on the plus side of the field to kick a 64-yard walk-off field goal, then why the hell do you screw up a 54-yarder and have a delay a game, for God's sakes, a delay a game on a field goal attempt? And then you say, no, at altitude, we're not going to kick the 59-yarder. Whereas at sea level, you were going to kick the 64-yarder. That made zero sense uh, to me as well. Here's something else. If you're going to take a delay of game and you're going to burn a timeout to avoid the five-yard loss, you know, with five minutes to go, say, in the third quarter and still a tight football game, to me, I would rather eat the five yards, be pissed that you had the delay of game. You can address that later. But don't burn time out so then you get into a two-minute situation where you absolutely have to have them and you've already burned them all. That, to me, is one of the most egregious things when you, when you assess a coach and you want to find fault. Timeout management, particularly in the second half, when you, in a cavalier way, will say, well, we can't lose five yards here and we're going to burn a timeout and then not have them in a tight game late. That can't happen. And we'll see how the uh, the Broncos progress. Yeah, you got to give the ball uh, to Williams more. You got to give the ball to Gordon more in the red zone. Broncos 0 for 6 in the red zone. Not going to fly. Especially when you went out and spent all that money on Russell Wilson. But I do advise that it's early. It's two games in. It's two games in for Nathaniel Hackett. It's two games in in a new system, new place for Russell Wilson. So you have to have some degree of patience. But some of what we've seen is maddening uh, to watch at the very least. Staying in football now, the college football variety, Colorado, Colorado State. I I tweeted this out, uh, I think, late Saturday. I'm actually shocked at how far uh, both of these schools have to go. I, I did not foresee both programs right now being this far down, where Colorado, and it's been written in a lot of places, may be the worst Power 5 team. Colorado State, among the poorest teams right now in college football. I'll say it again. I believe in the case of Colorado State that they have the right guy in Jay Norvell. And he just got there, and I know... He's had huge turnover on the roster. A couple of guys now just recently went to the the portal again. Um, I, I say this knowing Jay Norvell, some from having done his games, some of his games when he was at Nevada. Um, they they will win there. I, I really believe that. But they have farther to go than I than I imagined. And they had a tough schedule, at least in in two cases. Michigan clearly, Washington State playing really well. Washington State playing really well. The Middle Tennessee State game and the fact that they haven't scored in the first half, they, they have a, a long way to go. They do have a quarterback. Clay Millen is going to be a really good player. Clay Millen's getting his ass kicked because their offensive line's a mess. They've had injuries at tackle. Um, they're a mess. And so out on the recruiting trail, as, as, the, as the late great Keith Jackson would say, you got to have the big uglies, right? Up front, the big uglies. Well, they're recruiting the heck out of the wide receiver spot, the quarterback spot, the athlete spot. They got to get some big uglies up front because all those fancy guys and fast guys and pretty guys can't operate 
if you don't have folks up front. In Boulder, it's just a flat mess. They're the worst tackling team I've seen. Offensively, it's putrid. It's just, and it's been going on now for, you know, several years. And I don't think they have a quarterback. They're on to their third quarterback, it looks like, already. And it won't matter either unless they can protect them. It's just a long, long way to go. And and I don't want to kick teams when they're down. But it's non-competitive. It's flat-out non-competitive. Back to baseball. Alan Treo is my guest this week. I really like Alan Treo. Alan Treo is a guy that's grown on me. I watched him in spring training, and and it, you know if you watch with a critical eye, you realize pretty quickly he's got really soft hands. Um, he can really pick it. And then when you look at his growth from a minor league player to a big league player and what he's done with the bat, there's some pop in there. There's extra base hit in there. There's a toughness in there. There's a grit to his game. Now, he has shortcomings, just like every player does. He doesn't run well, especially, you know, when you think about it from a middle infield standpoint. Um, but he's a big leaguer, and he is a really impressive young man who's very driven, as I think will come out in our conversation this week presented by Ideal Home Loans. It's Rocky's shortstop and the former San Diego State Aztec, Alan Trejo. Right, I gotta ask you: was, was baseball your first love growing up, or was it another sport? No, I definitely grew up playing basketball. My dad was a basketball high school coach um, at Roosevelt High School in Boyle Heights, and uh, I grew up sitting on the bench watching him coach day in and day out. And I fell in love with the game of basketball. Um, you know, watching Kobe grow up, um, just a huge fan of basketball. And then as the time kind of progressed, I was like nine, ten. I started seeing that I think I was a little bit better at. At baseball and my dad never put any pressure on me to choose a sport but he kind of guided me in that direction to choose baseball did you play football as well or yeah i played pop warner um believe it or not i used to be fast back in the day <laughs> and i was a running back but yeah i enjoyed i played all sports i grew up playing tennis as well um anything you could imagine i'm super competitive so so hoops was number one. There's a rumor you have a you have a Kobe tat. Is that ac- accurate? Yeah. yeah, Kobe is someone that I've always idolized, and not only for his performance, uh, but just his work ethic. And I think it, it speaks volumes on him. And I want to emulate as much as I can his work ethic. Were you a point, by the way, or were you two guard or combo I was, guard? <laughs> I was like a shooting guard, but I mean, I, I liked handling the ball. But I, I always felt like I was a good scorer. I was a pretty good basketball player. Yeah, did you have some offers coming out of high school? No, they didn't. I wasn't allowed to play high school basketball. Oh, no? Yeah. Um, it was kind of one of those things where it was going to lead into baseball season because in California, basketball starts in winter, so December. And it was just going to creep into the, the spring schedule. And it just didn't make sense to, to risk getting hurt or risk missing out on, a, on my senior basketball or senior baseball season. So. So there's a pretty good competition that I know you've been a part of last couple of spring trainings uh, with, uh, is there, are they like great big games of horse? I don't know how you describe it. And you have a partner. How have you done in that? Who was your partner? Trevor Story was my guy. Um, Trevor the, could hoop. Yeah, Trevor. Trevor's pretty nice. Uh, he drafted me for the basketball tournament, which was 
which was really cool. I mean, I, I was just a young kid at camp. I didn't even know he knew my name. Ended up drafting me to Nolan, and uh, I think it was Daniel Murphy's team. So it was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, just we always shoot around whenever we had, we had a chance. All right, top three hoop players among your teammates. Um, I got to say Mac is one of them. Great athlete. Um, Tog- I've seen Toglia play. He could play a little bit too. Uh, other than that, I haven't really seen anyone else ball. There's a couple shooters, but you know every- anybody can shoot wide open. But, yeah, those two for sure. Totally kind of sneaky good athlete for big dude, isn't he? Yeah, he, he could run. Um, I actually played against him in college, and he was a 6'6 right fielder, freshman kid. And switch hitting, and we were, we were all like, man, this kid's going to be the truth. And uh, turns out he gets drafted first round, and, you know, he's who he is now. I always think you have a unique uh, kind of perspective and, and maybe even role as you develop as a big leaguer in the clubhouse because not only are you bilingual, but your folks, correct me if I'm wrong, first generation from Mexico. So your first language when you were itty-bitty was Spanish, correct? Yeah, so I grew up speaking Spanish. Um, to this day, we, we speak Spanish in the household. And, you know, all, most of my family members, when we get together, we, we converse in Spanish. Um, yeah, I grew up the first two years of my life. We were coming back and forth from Mexico. My dad was figuring out whether he was going to work in, in Mexico or work at Roosevelt High School. And uh, it turns out we, he decided to make that decision, and that's when I, we fully came over here and we got a house and we figured that out. Does it make it easier for you, nicer for you, that you can bridge the culture gap sometimes and, and you're just as comfortable maybe in, I don't, I don't want to call it, you know, the Latin Quarter or the you know Amer- North American yeah. Quarter, but you know what I mean. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, you get both perspectives because a lot of these guys that come from Latin American countries, you know, they're so humble. And, you know, they coming from the circumstances that they come from, you, you understand them a little bit better. And being able to speak both languages, I, I see both sides too because there's a lot of American players here that have been uh, kind of not looked down upon, but they're not, you know, big-time prospects. And, you know, they make their way through the minor leagues. They, wait, they become big leaguers. And, you know, you just have a lot of respect for, for both cultures. If Mexico in the WBC called you up, how excited would you be? What would the answer be? Um, I would I would love to. Um, I, I get asked this question a lot, uh, whether I'd play for Team USA or Team Mexico. And I, I think personally I'd play for Team USA. Um, but being that that's not the circumstance when they have a loaded team that they do, I would love to play for Mexico. I think that I, I hold a lot of culture in Mexico and uh, you know my heritage is Mexican so I, I hold a lot of pride in that Alright, take me through uh, the recruiting process. You end up at San Diego State uh, who else uh, was interested and, and what did the decision come down to? Um, the other teams, the other schools that were interested were University of Arizona and UCLA um, but UCLA I, I felt Savage really wanted me to pitch and he wasn't going to give me an opportunity to be a two-way player so ultimately it came down to San Diego State and Tony Gwynn made a great he did a great job of recruiting me you know when a guy like that comes up to you and he offers you a good amount of money and says hey we want you to come to school here and do both it speaks volumes on the kind of player that they envision you to be and um, I just felt the love right away and, and it felt like they really wanted me and yeah I ended up at San Diego State it was probably the best decision I've ever made 
What was it about Tony? Because, uh, you know, I got to know him a little bit when he was playing and, and he was so gracious with his time and he was a great interview because uh, you, you know, having played for him, how talkative he was and especially when it came to the game of baseball. But, but playing for him, as we reflect now, what stands out about your time with him? Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't really have much time with him. He passed away the summer I was going into school, so okay. I never really played for him. But, you know, throughout the whole process and going into summer school, you know, just having a guy like that with such a simple perspective of life, it was amazing. You know, he he simplified things to the bare minimum, and he made sense of everything. And, you know, a great hitter like that, probably one of the best hitters of all time, explaining things in a way where young guys could understand. And it, it's all, it was it was great because it shined a light on, on big leaguers. Like, you don't think of big leaguers as, like, these superhumans. And Tony Gwynn kind of gave you that perspective that he was just a human and he just tried to do things as right as possible. And, you know, that was the way he lived his life. We'll have more with Rocky shortstop Alan Trejo in a moment. But first, this for Ideal Home Loans. We tell you all the time that if you're in the market for a new home or you're doing a home improvement project, and I know maybe you've put it off uh, or put off shopping for a new home because interest rates have gone up. There are many questions out there, and there's still many ways that you can take advantage and best use your finance, finances and your resources by calling the good folks at Ideal Home Loans. Their number is 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. They can help home buyers in many ways, from pre-approval process to their closing guarantee and also their interest rate guarantee. So it's important that you get questions answered and that you understand, because markets have changed and we know they've changed dramatically, that that, that does not mean that you can't still do what you want to do in terms of home improvement project, buying another home, or consolidating debt. Just give them a call, 303-867-7000. They're going to answer all of your questions. 303-867-7000. It is Ideal Home Loans, Brent Ivinson's team. Now back to more with Rocky shortstop, Alan Trejo. How much did you pitch at San Diego State ultimately? Um... My freshman year, I threw a lot in the fall. I didn't get many innings during the season. We had a pretty good team. That included four big leaguers. My sophomore year, I played all short. Um, and then my junior year is when I pitched the most. When I was like a seventh, eighth inning guy. Um, I think I would have started if I was just a pitcher only. But yeah, I got about 20-some innings as a reliever. Um, I thought I thought I was a better pitcher at that point than a middle infielder just because I was more, I was more dominant on the mound. And, uh, yeah, but I, shoot, I, I didn't really enjoy pitching. Yeah. What, what was, uh, what made you the pitcher you were in college? I threw a lot of strikes and I was super competitive. I wasn't afraid of anybody. Uh, I faced guys like Bouchard at UCLA and, you know, I think he could contest this. Like, I, I wasn't going to back down from anybody, especially in the Mountain West where the ball flies. You're playing in Reno, you're playing in, uh, Air Force, you're playing. You know, schools where the balls fly, and I just took a lot of a lot of pride in throwing strikes and going after guys. What kind of velo did you have? I was about 90, 94, 94 on a really good day. Yeah, good deal. So you get drafted in the 16th round. Do you almost feel like you have a? I call it 
a you know a good chip on the shoulder where you got fuel in your tank where you weren't the first round guy you were you know never listed among the the, the top prospects in the organization yet here you are in the big leagues absolutely and i think that fuels me to this day uh, being picked up in the 16th round was kind of a slap in the face i thought it was a lot better than what it was um selected as and yeah I've carried that throughout my whole career and it's always been I got to beat the next guy out and there's no disrespect to anybody you know that has been in front of me but that's just my perspective and you know just the way I go about anything in my life like I said I'm super competitive and I try to beat out anybody and whatever whether it be cards ping pong you know, beating him to the house in a car, like stuff like that. Yeah, don't do that too much. You get to take that. <laughs> do that. Um, where have you grown the most in the last 12, 18 months as a player? I think just being around the big league clubhouse, you know, seeing how guys go about their business. Uh, last year, I learned so much from the story, whether it was a good, good day or bad day. He was the same guy all the time. You know, guys like Daniel Murphy, too, hanging around him all spring. He's the kind of guy that always was uplifting and positive. Guys like that is just—it's really easy to learn from, and I—I I think just trying to keep an open mind and not trying to be negative towards every little thing because this game already drags you down enough, and uh, just yeah, trying to stay positive for the most part. Do you, in your mind, whether it's set goals or, or look at someone else that came before you, maybe, maybe in a different organization, and say, "I can be like that guy," ultimately as a big leaguer. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I look up to guys like Longoria, who, who's had a great career, and he's still playing to this day. He's a great player. Uh, but I, sometimes I try to keep it more in perspective. Like, guys like Wilmer Flores, who's a great utility guy, you can put him wherever in the field and he's going to produce. It's the guys like that that I, hopefully I can, I can you know, emulate and have that kind of career and stick around and be a great clubhouse guy, a good leader. Uh, that's something that I, I really want to be in in the next three, four years. As, as you look now at the next three to four years where the Rockies are and where they want to get to, get back to, you know, where they were in 17 and 18 when, uh, you know, you were a young player in the organization, uh, what do you see as uh, uh, areas that need to, you know, be addressed to get there? I just think the little things, and uh, I think being positive all the time always helps and having that chip on your shoulder. I think sometimes as a team, you know, we got to, great group of guys that compete every single day but I wouldn't say we have a chip on our shoulder every single day especially on the road and I think that you know good teams like I don't want to say but the Dodgers um, the Yankees they have that stigma about them where they carry themselves like they're better than everybody else regardless of if they are or not I think that's something that we're we're kind of going through right now and we're trying to do that with this team and you know I, I think in September so far, I feel like we've been a good job of just saying, screw everything, we're going to play our heart out, and we're going to go after guys because it's the end of the season, and you know we want to win. Yeah. And I think that's going to carry into next season, hopefully, and just go after guys. You know, we're in one of the toughest divisions in baseball, and um, it doesn't matter who we play. It's got to be the same. we got to come out with the same aggressiveness every single day. Who's your biggest fan? Uh, biggest fan? <laughs> I would say my dad. Yeah, that guy watches every single game. He gets so stressed out when I when I don't perform. Uh, but he's always he's always there. He's always calling me to check in on me. And uh, yeah, that's my biggest fan. Does he throw BP to you still in the offseason? He tries to, but uh, uh, he's uh, he's getting older and he's he's always throwing different kind of pitches at me. So it's like facing a live at bat when I face him. He's so competitive as well. He's trying to get you out. And, yeah. yeah, not good. Not good. <laughs> 
good deal. Hey, Alan, man, I wish you the best of luck, best of health, and uh, uh, appreciate the time. Continued success, man. It's been fun to watch. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I think Alan Trejo very much could be part of the solution. Now, is that as a utility guy? Is it as a guy that's, you know, playing, you know, second some days and and maybe elsewhere other days? I don't know. That's to be determined. Um, but a grit to him, as I was describing earlier, a toughness to him. You know how much I love the the chip on the shoulder guy, and we chatted about that. He's got it. And it's not just you know, voicing the chip on the shoulder when you watch him play, um, you can see it. So I'm a big Alan Trejo fan. Smart guy. Like smart guys. Like good guys, like smart guys. You want to know how smart he is? He was a great student in high school. He took a ton of AP classes, AP Calc, AP Physics. So when he got to San Diego State, he was almost done academically with his freshman year. So in three and a half years, He got his degree in, you ready for this, aerospace engineering while playing major college baseball. He has a degree in aerospace engineering in three and a half years from San Diego State. And um, as we chatted, bilingual, his first language, still the one he converses uh, uh, with his folks with at home is Spanish. Um, So there's, there's a lot of positive things about Alan Trejo. And it was great getting to know him uh, a little bit better for all of you, I'm sure. Um, one other quick Rockies note that that comes out as you watch them play. And they have to address a lot of areas because when you finish, you know, they're going to finish in the neighborhood of 20 games beneath 500, hopefully give or take. We'll see. You know, maybe they can make a late run and, and get into the mid-teens, that sort of thing, for whatever that's worth. We know they need to improve um, where they are with their rotation, um, more power, all the things we need. But you know what's been glaring to me? They really don't have a lot of left-handed bats. Charlie Blackman's, you know, he's walking up the 18th fairway. He's going to be back next year. Uh, Charlie, especially in the first half, was good. Last couple of days, he swung the bat well. Uh, Charlie's their only true left-handed bat. Michael Tolia, who's now a big leaguer, is a switch hitter, big, strong switch hitter. Um Love the promise of Michael Tolia. And, you know, in a year or so, maybe a couple of years, Zach Veen, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, he'll be a big leaguer. And Zach Veen swings the bat from the left side. But the Rockies are right-handed dominant um, at the plate right now. And the other area where uh, they they don't have left-handers is out of the bullpen. Now, Lucas Gilbreth really had been doing exceptionally well. He's got the elbow issue, and and hopefully he's going to be able to avoid surgery. We'll know more uh, deeper into the offseason. But um, outside of Lucas Gilbreth, there's no left-hander. And with the expansion of rosters, to still not have a left-hander that you can say, okay, two of the next three hitters are lefty. It's the seventh inning. Let's match up. Uh, Buddy does not have that at his disposal. That's another glaring area that um, you'd like to address uh, in the offseason. One of the things I'm sure on Billy Schmidt's list. A reminder to check out Patrick Lyons and the DNVR Rockies uh, podcast five days a week and all of their written material as well. Patrick, uh, as you know, does a splendid job and I visit with him once a week and we have uh, a good time cutting it up on the uh, DNVR podcast. 
We will uh, check in again with you next week. Enjoy the football weekend and uh, enjoy this pursuit of of who knows how many home runs uh, by Aaron Judge and uh, the waning days of the Rocky season at home against the Padres this weekend. That should be fun. And then it's out on the road. Uh, three in San Francisco and a half dozen in L.A. But we'll talk all about that uh, next week. Listen, stay safe. Stay well. Thanks for joining us. Spread the word. We'll talk to you again in a few days.